right, we're going to take our Bibles today to Mark chapter number 8, Mark chapter number 8, and uh, as we continue on our series here in the book of Mark, moving on to the next verses here this morning, and uh, I'm grateful for the word of God, the fact that we can look at his word, study his word, and I'm just grateful for that, and uh, amazing to think yesterday, 20 years since September 11th, isn't that crazy to think? And so it's one of those it's one of those things that you'll never forget where you were when you saw those things. And uh, I was 16. I was in high school, and uh, turned on the news, and I was looking to see what the weather was going to be like. Not expecting to see. And I was literally right when that second plane went into that tower, and a lot of lives were lost. But one of the things that I saw good came from it was the unity of Americans. People actually looked like they loved America. And my message this morning is not on our country, but I do love America, and I'm grateful for the country we live in. I still do believe it's the greatest country in all the world. And if you don't believe that, go try living someplace else and just see. It is. But I'm also very worried about our country today. I'm worried about the leadership of our country. I'm not pro-vaccine, I'm not anti-vaccine, I'm in the middle. I think everybody has the right to choose for themselves what they do. It's not government's job to mandate or to keep me safe. That's we believe in personal liberty, that's what America was founded on. And we see that slipping before our eyes. And so, it's a very sad thing. People gave their lives and died so we could have the freedoms we have in our country to see them just being eradicated before our very eyes. And you even think September 11th, that day, it changed our world. The America that my kids grow up in today, they don't know what it was like pre-September 11th. They don't know what it was like to be able to walk grandma all the way to her gate in the airport. Do you remember that? Not having to take your shoes off and everything else going through an airport. It was a different world. And I remember that day how everything changed. And then I remember for a little short space of time the good that came through that time. And so our country needs the Lord. He is our only hope. And you'll notice that after September 11th, the unity was kind of based around prayer and things of that nature. That's going to be the only hope we have in our country is the Lord. Don't ever lose sight of that. And even we'll look at some of that this morning in the passage here. As we get to Mark chapter number 8 here, I remember Caroline and I moved to Montana. We'd been there for a year or so. And the winters got really bad there. We'll just put it that way. I think it was colder in Missoula, Montana than Chicago, Illinois. The only thing is the wind wasn't as bad, but it was still cold. Once it gets to a certain temperature, it doesn't matter what happens. It's just plain cold. We had a basketball team with our Christian school that we started there, and we needed to drive from Missoula, Montana, to Pasco, Washington. And we took a bus full of people there. Now, the weather had said, there's a storm coming. So this was Sunday. There's a storm coming tonight. So the best thing to do if you're going to travel over the mountain passes 
is once you go on Highway 90 or Interstate 90, once you get into, right when you get near the Montana-Idaho border, there's a mountain pass right there. And that's a rough one, going down or up. So if you're going to drive the passes, do it before the storm comes. There was a warning given. Be, on the, be ready for it. Well, we decided not to leave that night and wait till Monday morning. And there's only two bus drivers in our church. I had just barely gotten my license three months before this time, my bus license. And the pastor had his, had his bus license. Well, he said, I'm going to drive my Suburban with my family. You can drive the bus. Sure, let's go. I'm 20, 22. 98 passenger bus with 40 people on it. I mean, this was a long bus. You got closer to the pass. The sky was clear blue. It was a beautiful morning. The closer you got to the mountain pass, there were signs. Beware ahead. No chains necessary, but beware. There was warnings that the pass is coming. And then when we creeped up and got near the summit, right before you start the down into Idaho, you know how when you go up into the mountains, there's those markers on the side of the road. They're there, so when the snow is high, you can still see where the side of the road is. Those were gone. You could not see those anymore. And I've got a 98-passenger air brake bus with 40 precious lives on this bus. And it says, go slow. We start going down. They did not plow that, that pass yet. And it's a steep one going down. There were two or three times on that going down where the bus started to fishtail just a little bit. And you know what I'm talking about. I felt like the rear end of the bus was almost next to me. And it was the worst drive I have ever had and the most scary ride I've ever had in my life. It's where sometimes we'll be on the church bus and some of you are like, Pastor, I don't know how you fit into that little space. I can fit into any little space. I'm not concerned about that. Keep me off a mountain road with snow on a 98-passenger bus. There were warning signs that we should have followed. We should have left before that time. Warning signs are good if you heed them. But a lot of times, we don't heed the warning signs like we should. And this passage this morning gives us some insight into some warning signs that the Lord gave. Mark 8, last week we looked at the feeding of the 4,000. We go down to verse number 11. And so we'll look at verse number 10 to put this in context today. It says, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmantha. And the Pharisees came forth. And began to question him. It's like as soon as he gets to land, the Pharisees are there and begin to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entered into the ship again, departing to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Now you say, well, it would have been easy to forget bread on a trip maybe, right? 
How many baskets of bread did they have left over just right before this? Seven baskets, right? How in the world do you forget bread when you were given seven leftover baskets? But they did. It says, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. That's great, right? And he charged them, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have no bread? Oh, these disciples are as dumb as I am. This is totally something I would have said. What, the problem, I, don't, I didn't bring bread? That's the problem? He wasn't even talking about that. Verse number 16, and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your hearts yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. And having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how the baskets full of fragments took ye up. How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes as we look at this passage. Pray that you would help us, that you would guide our thoughts and our direction. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're getting a little late start to our message, but I know the kids are going to be singing at the end. If you have kids in this service, they're going to be singing with the kids' choir. When we get to invitation, take them out to the ramp, and then as soon as invitation is over, we'll have them come in. And so we're going to dive right in and get through the notes here. And we see in verse number 10, they entered into a ship with his disciples, and he came to this area of Dalmantha. And as he arrives on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, we read that the religious Gestapo come out of hiding and slam into him. That verse says, and the Pharisees came forth. That word came indicates that they came out as if in hiding. They were marching towards him with purpose just to question him. And ask for a sign. The word began there means they began at once and kept it up. Jesus had already given many signs to the people of that day. But they didn't pay attention to them. All they wanted to do with Jesus was argue with him. And they wanted to seek a way to trap him. There were plenty of signs that the Pharisees had seen. But they didn't get it nor were they going to. As we look at this this morning, and you think about it, Jesus healed many with diseases. He cast out devils. He controlled the ocean, or the, sorry, the sea. He made a miraculous dinner twice. He healed the deaf, raised the dead. What other sign did the Pharisees need? They didn't need any more signs. Response to the demands of these Pharisees who were settled in their unbelief, Jesus does two things. And I want to talk about that as we dive in this morning. Number one, we see the fact the Pharisees, they're settled in their unbelief. There's really nothing Jesus can do at this point to change the minds of these Pharisees. Their minds are made up. They're not going to believe that he's God and that's it. 
Hey, show us a sign that we're just waiting for him to come. And as we look at these things, Jesus does two things with the Pharisees here. Number one, he denounced them. He denounces them. Their attitude, you think about this, affects Jesus emotionally. In verse number 12, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. We saw with that, the deaf man in chapter number 7 that he sighed, the Bible tells us. When face-to-face with these Pharisees, he sighed because of the hardness of their heart. The idea is that he snorted with anger. <sighs> Again, that's the thought here. The sigh was deeply in his soul. It was emphatic, it was strong. And we get a hint of, the, of Jesus here and his exasperation when he asked them this question there, why doth this generation seek after a sign? In Matthew 16, 4, the Bible tells us that Jesus described this generation as a wicked and adulterous generation. In, in Mark 9, 19, which we'll get to in a few weeks, he said, O faithless generation. And then, as we look at these things, Jesus made this statement, Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. You see, the Pharisees, they had already settled in their heart what they believed about him. You are not God. That was their thoughts. And yet they kept after him, trying to get him to just do something that they could talk about. Jesus denounced them, but also let her be. He departs from them. That's very abrupt. You look at verse number 13, it says, And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. This is, they're there to catch Jesus in something. He doesn't play the game. He gets in the boat and leaves. They wanted to argue, they wanted to fight, but Jesus knew there was no need to fight with these guys. And you know, it is that way with some people. Sometimes I don't understand why people have to argue with certain people because they're never going to change their mind. Sometimes I'll see Christians on Facebook or different things, even in our church, and you see them get into arguments with people. It's like you're not going to change their mind. It might be good for us to take some wisdom here from Jesus, which comes from the word of God as well. What the Bible tells in Proverbs 23, verse number 9, the Bible says, Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verse number 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and render you. Similar to what the Bible tells us in Psalm 81, Verse 12, so I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts, and they walked in their own counsel. You think about the foolish and the talk about the book of Romans. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. There was a tribe of Israel that had hardened themselves so hard against God, the scripture tells us in Hosea 4, 
Verse number 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Because, and we look at this passage, because these men were so hardened against Jesus, Jesus denounces them, and then he leaves. That's what he'll do. You don't want him, and you refuse him, and you continue to refuse him, he'll say, okay, fine. I'll let you do what you want to do. These Pharisees were not coming to call him Lord. They were coming to trap him. There's nothing Jesus could do to change that. I like how one pastor put it. He said, no one goes to hell because God sends them there. People go to hell because they refuse to turn from their sins and believe on Jesus. That's the truth of the matter. These phony Pharisees were hardened and they were settled in their unbelief. But I'll tell you this, in this passage, there was another group of people. His disciples. Their hearts were not hardened to the point where they were settled in their unbelief. But they were unsettled in their belief in him. I recently heard about a man who wanted to build a bar next to a church. The congregation strongly opposed it and started praying that it would never open. Just before lightning struck the bar, and it burnt to the ground. The members rejoiced and gave all the credit to the Lord. The bar owner then sued the church, claiming that the congregation's prayers had cost him his building. But the church leaders denied having anything to do with it. The case went to court, and the judge wasn't sure how to rule because he had a bar owner who believed in the power of prayer and a church congregation that didn't. The disciples were close to Christ, but they had a hard time believing in him. Even when the signs were super clear, they just see all these things take place. So as we see this morning, number one, we see these Pharisees, they were settled in their unbelief. But number two... We see the disciples are unsettled in their belief. We look a little closer at verse number 14. We see now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. It's easy to forget things, isn't it? That's one of the blessings about living 30 feet from the church. If I forgot something, I could just walk home and no one ever knew if that ever happened. It doesn't quite so happen that way. There was a few Sundays ago where Caroline called me at 8.15. She's like, I can't find my keys. Well, when we lived on the property, it doesn't matter if you had keys or not. You just walk over. It's very simple. Well, I guess if it was raining really bad, I could always drive from here to this site if I needed to, but didn't do that too often. And, um, but it's easy to forget things. Ever go on a trip and be like, I know I'm forgetting something. Thank God there's Walmarts and Targets everywhere. You can get it just about anything you need, and you'll be okay. But, it's, but I wonder, you think about this, how could you forget bread when he just fed 4,000 and there were seven baskets left over? And according to this passage, I believe that the disciples were the ones who gave him the bread that they had, and then he gives the baskets back to them. How do you forget this? 
They look around the boat, and there's one loaf of bread among them. They'd not only forgotten bread and were forgetful, but then they get flustered by what Jesus has to say there in verse number 15. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. He charged them. Hey, watch out. Hey, beware of these things. It's a strong word. Hey, keep watching out and continue taking heed. Always have your guard up against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I've often wondered how yeast works in dough. Anybody ever wonder that? And some of you are like, I know, I know. Well, I do too now. Google does great things for you at times. Unless Google's wrong, which it could be. But this is what I found. As soon as flour, water, and yeast are stirred together, enzymes in the yeast and the flour cause large starch molecules to break down into simple sugars. The yeast metabolizes these simple sugars and... Um, creates a liquid that releases carbon dioxide and ethanol alcohol into existing air bubbles in the dough, causing it to rise. Yeast is a single-celled fungus. You eat that every time you eat bread. Uh, that might make some of you not want to eat much bread today, but bread is good. Put a little butter on that bread and... I don't care if it's a fun, it's good. Leaven, yeast, is alive and under the right conditions will spread rapidly through the dough. In the Bible, leaven is often used as a metaphor for the invisible, persuasive spread of sin. Each Passover season, Jewish people would remove all the leaven out of their house as a way to remind them of the time when God's people didn't have time to let their bread rise during the Exodus. Getting rid of the leaven also represented their desire to live pure lives. When we do the Lord's Supper, the bread doesn't have yeast in it because it's a picture of sin. The idea is here that a little small amount of leaven working invisibly as it penetrates what will happen is it will go through the entire loaf. That's why the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 verse number 9, we read how false teaching can infiltrate a body of believers. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Paul explains to the church in Corinth how sin can spread through an entire church where he says, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Jesus is warning his disciples here, Hey guys, we look at the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees' problems? What was their sin? What was their leaven? Their bad theology? Their legalism? Their unholy hypocrisy? It also says, hey, beware of the leaven of Herod, right? Do you see that right there? 
This could be an overemphasis of political power, materialism, sexual license, immorality, a worldly focus. Isn't that a good word for us today? Hey, Christian, be careful. Have your eyes open to the Pharisees, to those religious hypocrites, those legalists. Have your eyes open to the sin in politics. He mentions Herod right there. Hey, my hope's not found in what happens on Tuesday, and that's just a reminder there's a recall election going on. You should vote. My hope's not what happens on Tuesday. My hope's not in who's in the White House or in the governor's house or in the mayor's house. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. But there's quite a word here. Beware of the leavening nature of both religion and politics. And I go further with that, but I don't have time to. The fact is the disciples are so dense as I am most of the time. They think that Jesus is trying to He's asking them why they didn't bring the bread with them. But he's not talking about that. As I bring the sermon to a close today, you see, if you're a Pharisee this morning, and your goal and your heart's hardened and you're settled in your ways, the rest of the sermon's not for you. You can tune yourself out if you want, because you already tuned me out from the time I started. I really don't believe we have any of those in this room. My prayer is that we don't. But there are times in the Christian life where our belief is unsettled. And I believe Jesus gives the disciples three ways and eight questions he asks them. How to help settle your faith at moments when it's tough. Let me give this to you. And we'll be done. You'll look at verse number 17 at the beginning there. It says, and when Jesus knew it, he said unto them. This is a teachable moment. And as we look at this moment, I want you to see these questions that the Lord asked. And there's a good process for us when you see your faith faltering. Number one, or letter A there, or number one, remember God's power in your head. Say, what in the world do you mean? The first two questions are found in verse 17. They're designed to stir up their memories. Look there. Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, have ye your hearts yet hardened? He wanted them to think more deeply about the bread than they had because they totally misunderstood the message. The word understand here means to put together. Two more questions are directed to their minds found in verse 18. Look there. Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? To remember means to call to mind. Do you not call to mind what I've already done? The first place 
to start when you're slipping spiritually and your faith is wavering is to focus on the facts. Bring to mind those things that you know to be true about God. That's why, Christian, it's imperative that you learn to read God's word every day. That helps you remember his words and reflect on them daily. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Remember God's power in your head. Let me give you a good example. Lamentations chapter number three. The book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is lamenting over Jerusalem. He sees the city in ruin. And he, it's difficult for him. Look at what it says in verse number 19. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul has them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. When his mind is set on suffering and pain, Jeremiah ends up in a very bad place, which we all do. Now look at what verse 21 says. And this is what Jesus is referring to in what he said to the disciples. Look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. His hope is coming back, you see, but not until the disciples, you think about it, not until he dis, not until Jeremiah disciplines himself to get his mind back on the right things. You see that right here? So go back, Joe, to where we were in verse 21. Don't 22 tell I tell you to. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hoped. Do you see how Jeremiah had to get his mind thinking about the true things of God? Hey, focus here for a minute, everybody. I need you to pay attention here. If you get nothing else this morning, a lot of people could be helped with these three points. We need this this morning. I know the kids are supposed to come in and sing at any minute, but at this time, this is the most important thing, and it's going to get finished up real quick. We need to remember God's power in our head. We see this is what Jeremiah did. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. He looks, he sees the ruin of the city. He's in despair. His stomach is sick. His soul, when it's in remembrance, he's down because of it. But this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions Fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. And you see in these verses here, when your faith is faltering, you got to get your mind back to the Lord and what he's done in your life. And that's what we see right here with Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I'm faltering. My stomach's sick. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this I recall to my mind. And Jesus reminds the disciples right here, have you not seen? Don't you know what's already taken place? Hey, Christian, this morning, when your faith falters, remember God's power in your head. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number 4, it tells us, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are 
true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Hey, when your faith starts to waver, when you're unsettled, and you just need, you got to recall in your mind, and you got to get back to the point where you look to the Lord and remember in your head the power of God. Number two, reflect on God's purposes in your heart. One of these eight questions is directed to their heart. Verse hearts yet hardened. The Pharisees were settled in their unbelief, and their hearts were hardened. It's also possible for believers to get their hearts hardened as well towards God. This is what happens. When we start to falter, our default setting inside us is to disengage and not to engage fully in what God's called us to do. Hey, church, in order for your faith to grow, start by remembering God's power in your head, and then you've got to reflect on his purposes in your heart so you don't become hardened. And finally, number three, replay the provision God put in your hands. Knowing that our thoughts and feelings can be scattered and our thoughts and feelings are untrustworthy. Don't, le- don't lead your life by feelings. Many Bible people got in trouble because they led their lives by their feelings. Do we want to get into um, Isaac with Jacob and Esau? It felt like Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. Think on that one there for a minute. What does Jesus do? He draws his disciples to replay how he provided in the past. Verse 19 and 20. When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? Then they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. They passed their math test. But this helped them in their faith. See, Christian, when you're unsettled and when you're and you're gonna go through if your faith never falters, you're just lying to yourself, because all of our faith falters at times. I wish it never did. But it does. When your faith falters, remember God's power in your head. This I call to my mind, Jeremiah said. Number two, reflect on God's purposes in your heart. And then replay the provision God put in your hands. That's why the Bible tells us in Psalm 103, Hey, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then it goes through and lists them. The final question they ask them in verse 21 brings it all together as he appeals to them there. It says, and he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? These questions were not designed to shame or blame, but were used to teach them. 
And according to the parallel passage in Matthew 16 and verse number 12, they understood, then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. They got it. They finally got it. See two groups of people today in this passage. We saw the ones who didn't believe in Jesus and were never going to. And we see Jesus ignored them and left. We see another group that was faltering in their faith. And they had seen all these things. But their hearts weren't hardened against the Lord like the Pharisees were. And what did Jesus do? He taught them. How's your heart today? If your heart's hard, it's hard to get anything through. These disciples, they were far from perfect, but their hearts weren't hardened because he reached out to them. And he taught them some valuable lessons. Hey, Christian, when, you're fall, when your faith is faltering, or maybe it is today, you've got to remember the Lord. You've got to remember his power and put that in your thoughts because our minds wander. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's just us. And when our minds go off, we got to get our minds back on him. When we get our minds back on him and we put his power in our head, we need to reflect on God's purposes in our heart so we don't harden our heart through these things that are going on in our lives. And then we need to remember what he's done in the past and realize God will take care of you. If you would take the three last things we talked about today and keep those near and dear to your heart, there's going to be a time in your life where you need those things. I encourage you to take those notes and keep them close. And when your faith begins to falter, look back on those and get your mind back on the Lord. Don't harden your heart because trials and circumstances will do one of two things. They're either going to harden us or get us closer. Don't harden yourself. Get closer to the Lord. Father, we thank you.